the midst of a series called Awaken, which is all about this. What would it look like if we as the church, capital C Church, were awakened to our calling to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world? As, as a matter of fact, we're not just preaching this as an isolated member of the church, Greenhouse. We're preaching this as the church. This is some hundred plus churches all throughout South Florida and the Tri-County area, preaching this together in solidarity. Last week, Last week, Pastor Malik spoke. How many of you were here for Pastor Malik bringing the word? So good, so good. Bringing lessons from the woman at the well. If you missed it, you could check it out on our podcast or YouTube channel. Search Greenhouse South Florida. This week, I want to wrap up this short little mini-series, Preaching from Acts chapter 8. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. How many of you are vaguely familiar with the story? Show of hands. All right, a few of us. All right, cool. I'll catch us all up to speed. If you want to turn there in Acts chapter 8, if you have a Bible, if not, we got Sky Bible for your viewing enjoyment. No sweat. I want to say two words before I bring the word. Miami Dolphins. Come on, somebody. It's Hanukkah season. Y'all know I'm from a Jewish background. This has been my Hanukkah miracle. The Dolphins win four games in a row. Lord, keep it going against the lonely giants. Amen. No, nobody even cares. Okay, cool. No, that's great. That's great. I'm fine. I'm fine. Acts 8, verse 26. If you're ready, say, preach it. All right, y'all care more about that. That's good. You're in a good place. Verse 26, we're picking up here. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, he's going to be the main human character in our story. An angel of the Lord, anybody named Philip in the audience one time? No, no Philips, maybe online. Okay, this will be fun. You'll be the hero. Angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. Casey was wondering, the desert road, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. How many of you know what a eunuch is? This is going to get very exciting to communicate that. Awesome. Was hoping everybody would raise their hand, but praise the Lord. Sermon just got way more intense. All right, well, there was this eunuch, who you don't know what that means, so you'll find out, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which is a generic term for the queen of the Ethiopians, this matriarchal royalty. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, apparently he had some level of physical fitness, and he got to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? I don't know about the rest of y'all, I probably just would have freaked out when a random dude rolls up on me in my chariot in the desert. But this man is humble. He says, no, I, I, I don't get it. How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this is a passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Anyone recognize this passage? It's Isaiah 53, written 750 years ago about who? He just so happens to be reading Isaiah 53. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, as they traveled along the road, the desert road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Who can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord, that's how I imagine it sounded, suddenly took Philip away, but he teleported. Let me just be clear. In the Bible, we have eunuchs and teleportation. Welcome to the sermon this morning here at Greenhouse. 
He teleports away. Eunuch doesn't see him again. He goes on his way rejoicing. Philip appears, pops up at Azotos and travels about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Pray with me and pray for me. Jesus, help. Amen. Find your seats. Tell your neighbor. It's going to be good. I hope. I pray. To those who believe all things are possible. I've really just got two stopping points along the way. And the first one is this. God's love is amazing. Can I get any amens? Anybody experience that? God's love is amazing. It's amazing. You ever been astounded by the depth of love and care from a person? You ever had that experience? Spouses, that was your chance to nudge your spouse. Right there. I just tried to set y'all up with a softball, but no, nobody took it. Okay, cool. Um, track with me. Our tech director, Lisa, is absolutely incredible. I don't know if you've gotten to experience her. Yeah, one time, her husband, Jose, equally incredible. He was cheering for her, and now she can cheer for him. They are some of the, I mean, they are technically proficient and amazing. Lisa's only flaw is that she prefers Android over iPhone, but the Lord's still working on her. And, you know, it's a work in progress there. I mean, but they are two of the most caring people I have ever met. A lot of you know my father passed away unexpectedly of a stroke about two and a half years ago. And, and, and you all have been so incredibly loving and supportive. I mean, it's been, you guys are amazing. I love you guys. You guys are my favorite church. It helps that I'm the pastor here. But I think that'll still be the case even if I wasn't, to be honest. You guys just have a heart, man. And, but I don't know if there's been two humans that have been more consistently loving, caring, conscientious, and, and just there for my mom than Lisa and Jose. And, and it's just been astounding. I mean, as, as a son who's trying to step in, I got young kids, and so they're running around my ankles. They're probably watching right now. What's up, Liam? I'm on TV. Love you, buddy. And, um, you know, they're, they're doing this, and, uh, and we've got all our hands full, and to have Lisa and Jose step in, just all these ways, thoughtful, hey, you're planning on going to temple? You know, would you like someone to ride with you to my mom, the Messianic synagogue that her and my dad helped start? And, and hey, and, and, you know, I know you, we got this Hanukkah gift, and I know she liked it last year, so we got it again. I mean, they go over and above, and, and I'm consistently astounded at the amount of love they have to give. The deep level of thought. I don't know, there's a point to that, but honestly, I just love Lisa and Jose, and I'm so thankful for them, but this is kind of what Luke is trying to get at about God. What he's trying to do, hopefully you've had someone like that in your life, and if you haven't, welcome to Greenhouse, stick around. There's people like that all throughout this crazy place, but Luke is trying to show us, he's trying to illustrate us for us in Acts chapter 8 about the astounding, amazing, personally thought through and manifest love of God. What he's trying to show us is that better than any human being, because ultimately Lisa and Jose would say, man, we're just people, our love for people comes from who? God, Luke is trying to show us that, but if we're not careful, we'll breeze through the craziness of Acts chapter eight and just move right along because yeah, yeah, I've heard this preached before. Let me give us some backstory. Jesus was getting ready to do his own format of teleportation to go back up with the Father and he left the disciples with this command. He told them to go and make what? He said to go and make... That's why we exist here at Greenhouse, right? To help ordinary people become disciples, passionate followers of Jesus. He said, go and make disciples. And then he fleshes out sort of the, the game plan. He says, you're gonna start in Jerusalem, then you're gonna extend to Judea, then you're gonna go to Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. It's an incredible mission. It's a clear mission. It's a compelling mission. It's a vision. Those of you business leaders and small business leaders, you're gonna, you, gotta, you gotta have these smart goals. It's specific and it's measurable. He gives them this stuff. The problem is that they didn't do it. You thought it was just you. 
It's always been disciples' problem. He says, go, you're gonna start in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and guess what they did? They sat in their comfort zone right there in Jerusalem until persecution hits. And at the beginning of Acts chapter eight, we're introduced to the first martyr in the known Christendom and these followers, these early Jewish followers of Jesus, his name is Stephen. Stephen is stoned, not like, but like dead, he's stoned. Just had to clarify, I know we're the greenhouse. Sometimes people get confused. Stephen gets killed, stoned, dead. And all of the followers of Jesus, they dissipate. They get spread out, and all of a sudden, the commission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus becomes the reality of his church. Moral of the story, God can use horrible and hellish things for his glory if you put your life in his hands. That'll preach, and that one was for free. So they go, and there's this one dude named Philip who ends up in a Samaritan village. It tells us, Acts tells us, that everywhere these disciples of Jesus went, they did what disciples do. They shared about Jesus. They shared the gospel. They shared about the incredible love of God. And what happens in the Samaritan village is that revival breaks out. It's what we're praying for here in South Florida, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And Philip is this chief evangelist being used by God in the midst of a crazy revival. It doesn't just say a few Samaritans believe. It says that entire villages came to faith. If you remember from last week, Pastor Malik preached the Samaritans and the Jews, they had this feud going back and forth. There was a betrayal on behalf of Samaritans when it came to the faith of God. And these people who had been far from God are suddenly coming near. It's amazing. It's incredible. There's salvation springing up. Acts 8, there's miracles popping off all over the place. There's healings. There's signs and wonders. I mean, it is the dream scenario of any disciple of Jesus, and Philip is smack dab in the middle of it. And then he wakes up one morning, and God tells him this. Verse 26, go south to the road. I need us to catch this. Philip is in the height of revival. God is moving. People are coming to faith. Miracles are happening. Everything is amazing. And in the height of all of this kingdom goodness, God comes and says, hey, an angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, Philip, I want you to go south to the road. What road? Not the crowded road, not Main Street. I want you to go south to the desert road. Let's pretend it's not Philip. Let's pretend it's you. And you're in your job and you're in your space and you're in your business and you're in your home and you're in your context and everything is going amazing. You're like, can I just receive that as a word right now, Pastor John? Because that is not my reality. Sure, to, you know, according to your faith. And then, and then an angel shows up, freak me out, and says, hey, I want you to go out to the desert. Has God ever told you to do or say something that just made no sense? Anybody? Like this, this seems to be his MO, right? Everything is trending in a direction and then God says go and God re, in the midst of this revival where Philip is the chief evangelist amongst the Samaritan people, God redeploys him where? On a desert road with one person. How many small business leaders do we have in the room? Anybody, any small business leaders? I don't know if you're tracking that math right there, but that seems like a massive resource misallocation. Like that that is bad strategic leadership right there. You're like, no, 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 God, God, there's all these people here and they're responding and there's one person there in a chariot. What's the point? Luke is trying to make sure we do not miss something about God. That he loves 
each and every individual person that much. Luke is trying to show us God's love is amazing. Luke is trying to reiterate for us God's love for the individual. Why? Not because God needs it. He's already got it. Because we need it. Because he wants us to understand his character and he wants us to get his heart. This Ethiopian eunuch would have come from some 800 miles away. He did not take a jet. He did not take a plane. But he bounced along on desert roads, risking his life in a chariot. He would have been an ancient Ethiopian. In the ancient world, they would have called this land Cush. And he was coming to worship at the temple, which begs the question, how did an Ethiopian brother know about the temple? Why was he going to worship at the temple? Right? This would not have been the primary religion of his region. What we know from Bible scholars is that there was most likely a Jewish colony at Elephantine in one of the deltas of the Nile. And so he, this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, he had heard about the God of the Hebrews. He had heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And apparently he was so intrigued and he had the resources at his disposal that Buddy made an 800-mile trek in the ancient world to go and find out for himself. And we struggle to drive to church in the rain. Whew! Lord have mercy. Now you got to understand a few things about this man. Number one, he has power. He has power. We're told that he's in charge of the entire treasury of the Candace. This he, he would have been in charge of all the royalty of the queen of Ethiopia. This man has power. He has clout. He has influence. But number two, this man is an outsider. I promised you I'd explain about the eunuch. So here we go. If your kids are listening, you know, you, you left them in here. Eunuchs were castrated males who were unable to bear children, often in the ancient world by force. All right, is that clear for everybody? There we go. You're like, I did not expect that at church, but thank you very much. The eunuch, uh, typically in the ancient world, especially in relation to the candidacy, uh, they wanted to eliminate any possibility of extracurricular activities in the job. Y'all tracking with me? And so they would make sure that if there were any male servants of the candidacy, they were eunuchs. Good? Like, are we all, we're, we're mostly adults here. Otherwise, your kids just grew up real quick. Okay. Now, here's the problem. In the ancient world, while this man had power and clout, he would have almost certainly been a social outcast. How do I know that? Because that's how eunuchs were treated in the ancient world. They actually had sort of prevailing um, stigmas. They had these, these lines, these derogatory terms they would use for eunuchs. They would call them dry trees, which, which basically was pointing to the fact that they could not bear fruit. They could not have offspring. They, they, he would have had power, but he would have been very ostracized and most likely mistreated, typically behind his back because he had power. Some of you are like, that sounds like my boss. Okay, you said it, not me. Eunuchs often would have been mocked in the ancient world. They would have been treated like outcasts, but this man has heard about the God of the Hebrews. And so as an outcast, literally going to another people group, he goes 800 miles away because he wants to meet and worship God. And he makes it all the way to the temple, but he never made it in. He never made it in. Like, how do you know that? some smarter people than me, I read about it. No, no, basically, the Jewish law would have forbid it. In the Torah, he, he would have been stopped because he's got sort of two strikes against him. Number one, he's a Gentile, and so he would have been forbidden to go into the inner courts and worship, and number two, he's a, a, a eunuch. The law of Moses forbids eunuchs into temple areas of worship. What we're reading in the beginning of Acts 8 is someone's nightmare, friends. 
This is a tragedy. Here's this man so compelled by this idea of a God that he travels 800 miles and he never even get, he is forbidden by the religious systems in place to even get to God. Man, I, I, and I, I, we cannot miss this because Luke is trying to make something very clear about the nature of God. And while this man, in all of his best efforts and intentions through all of the religious systems of his day, could not make it to God, God found him. Yeah, yeah. Whew. It's incredible. We find this eunuch and he's, he's on this chariot. The, the original language connotes that it's most likely not him like do, 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 riding on horseback. He's kind of chilling in luxury and he's being escorted back. And so in the midst of this drive, he, he's taking the ancient version of Netflix, right? He's, he's reading a scroll. He's reading a scroll. You're like, he's scrolling. There it is. Took some of y'all a little, you know, there you go. There you go. Dad jokes on full display. Here's what's astounding to me. The eunuch is still looking for God even, as, even after he has been permitted by humans and the religious system from entering the temple. It reminds me of the world that we live in right now. We're out of all of the reasons that people have turned their back on organized religion and oftentimes church and Christianity, we have a culture that is wildly open to God and spirituality. We are no longer a culture of atheists. I don't know if you know this, you probably do because you have friends and relatives and coworkers and neighbors who are not Jesus people yet, but we are no longer a culture of atheism. We have become a culture of agnosticism. You know what that means? Not really sure. Not really sure about God. I think there's something probably. I mean, it makes sense. I don't, I don't know how all this stuff happened. Like, I, but I don't, he, she, it, the force. I don't really know what God, the universe. I don't really know what God is, but... I would really like a connection with the divine. We live in a culture that is wildly open right now to spirituality, that is deeply searching for transcendent truth, hashtag TikTok and all the foolishness on there. Like we live in a world that is longing for someone to tell me something, that there's something out there bigger than just what I know and who I am as myself. We live in a culture full of, well, full of a bunch of Ethiopian eunuchs, searching, hoping, longing. And in the midst of revival breaking out in entire villages, God sees this one man, this outcast, and he does what he always does. He calls a disciple, Philip, rise and go. And I don't want us to miss this because as Americans, we are uniquely fixated on our desire for control and details. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine you're in this scene and stuff is going well and you're on your plan, whatever your plan might be, and it's happening and everything's firing on all cylinders and then God tells you, hey, I know you're loving this, but I want you to go somewhere entirely different and do something entirely different. You're like, oh, okay. You go open your eyes. How do you respond? You probably respond like most of us. You're like, rise and go where? He's like, to the desert road. You're like, okay. And I'm going to do what? Doesn't give him a what. Well, what's going to happen at the end? Doesn't give him a what's going to happen at the end. All Philip gets is rise and go where? To the desert road. And he does it. That's crazy. Anybody else, you're like, that's, that's astounding. 
This buddy's level of trust and faith in God and desire is so, is so strong that he is willing to go off a simple next step without any promise of the bigger picture. And that's how God always operates. Still to this day, if you wanna see incredible kingdom adventures in your life, you have to be willing to move when God says, rise and go. That'll preach. So he goes. And he rolls up on Buddy in the chariot, and I'm not sure what exactly he was thinking, but I'm imagining it's a bit of an uncomfortable scene here. And, and the spirit says once again, okay, now I want you to roll up to this stranger's chariot. Ancient world, good probability, Buddy has bodyguards. It's a dangerous trek he would have gone on. He's probably risking at least some uncomfortable situations, if not bodily harm and or death. He goes for it, and as he gets close, he hears a guy reading Isaiah, to which I'm sure he's like, oh, thank God, I'm not gonna die today. And you can imagine Philip begins to realize, wait a second, wait a second. God's up to something. God's doing something. He gets a little closer and he realizes, wait, this guy isn't just reading the Bible. He's not just reading the prophet Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53, which is all about Jesus, written 700 plus years before Jesus ever lived. Like this is, there's not a more softball of a, so this is like if you walked up to a coworker and you're like, hey, how are you doing today? And they're like, I'm just searching for the longing of my soul that I've never been able to find in anything else. And I'm hoping that someone knows the answer to the deepest cravings of my heart. Is there a love out there that loves me more than anybody in my entire life? And I just have to receive it because I will right now. I'll, I'll see you at lunch. <laughs> right, like this is incredible. Philip is like, oh my goodness. And so he hears this and so he's like, hey, uh, do, you, do you know what you're reading? The guy's like, I have no clue. By the way, God is always attracted to humility. This is not the first time God has happened to notice that this Ethiopian eunuch is humble in his approach. I think it's what God, what drew God's heart to him uniquely. He says, I have no clue, man. I don't really want to know what I'm talking about. And so Philip jumps up there and he begins to unpack. Check this out. Isaiah 53, which is about a man who was outcast and pushed away and ultimately assassinated outside of the temple and prohibited by religious leaders and had no offspring. Think about this for a second. This is a 700 year plus divine appointment in the making. This man's reading this text. It makes sense, right? Now he's like, hey, is a prophet talking about himself or somebody else? Why? Because he's reading his own story before his own eyes. He's reading about this man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who had no offspring to bear. And he's like, is this, wait a second, wait a second. You ever read the Bible and you're like, wait a, wait a, wait a second. And Philip shares with him the incredible hope of Jesus. Check this. This is Amazing. I could preach this message in like three messages and I hope I don't, I got a timer on. They're traveling along this desert road, right? We, we, we're not quite familiar with deserts here, but there's not like a bunch of trees, no flora, no fauna, desert road, functionally barren. And as this man comes to faith and believes in his heart, what happens? They hit a mirage. They just so happen on this desert road at the moment that this eunuch decides, this is the God I've been looking for. Yes, I want to respond. All of a sudden, they hit life-giving water. What in the world? God is exhibiting in the external what is happening inside of this man's heart before his eyes. 
We have to carry out our baptismal tank every week and load it up with a hose. God's like, I got it. I'll make it happen. You just go, Philip. I got the rest. Think about the details of the love of God in this encounter. And so the dude's like, hey, here's some water. Philip's like, what? Are you? Oh, 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 wow. Okay. Thank you, Lord. You know, can I be baptized? Definitely. Buddy, Philip baptizes him and then <laughs> teleports. Matter of fact, why don't we just take a moment right now? Lord, if you want to teleport any of us, we are very open to that. No, nobody. One baby, so there we go. Congratulations, you are the most spiritual in the room. Right? It's never happened to me either. It's okay. Don't beat yourself up about it. But, but all of a sudden, buddy teleports. I don't know about you, but if you're looking for an exciting day, if you're like, man, I'm so sick of the nine to five, I'm going to start my own company. Bump your own company. Go ahead and follow Jesus. You're signing up for teleportation and 700-year-old divine appointments. And also, like, this is a crazy scene. Right? I mean, I know we can read it like a religious text. This really happened. This is a true story. And it says the man went away with joy. How do we know that? Remember, the only guy who probably could have told this story to Luke to recount is Philip, but he's gone. He, he, he done teleported. How do we know he went away with joy? Ooh, this, man, this gets so good. Because we know what he was reading. What was he reading? Isaiah 53. How many of you think that after reading a scroll and all of a sudden a random dude shows up running next to your chariot, explains the scroll, tells you it's all about the love of God, you respond, all of a sudden water shows up in the desert, you get a mirage, you get baptized, and then buddy teleports out of there. How many of y'all think you're gonna keep reading that story? Right, you're like, got my attention. I'm gonna keep reading that one. The Wi-Fi is not working in the desert, so he doesn't have much else to do, right? So he keeps going in Isaiah. Check out what he comes to after his conversion experience, after he has already experienced the phenomenally incredible love of God so deeply personalized to his own unique story. Here's what he starts to read, Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one. Break forth in a singing and cry aloud. The children of the desolate one will be more than the children of him who is married. Enlarge the place of your tent. Ancient world language would have been, get a bigger house and you better prepare some extra rooms. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. You're gonna spread abroad to the right and the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Don't be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. Guess when they typically made eunuchs eunuchs in their youth? Most likely this buddy has been forcibly placed into this position. We talk about a word in due season, but it gets better. Then he gets to Isaiah 56. I'm, I'm hoping that this opens our minds and hearts to the incredible love of God that so many of us in this room have experienced and maybe we've tempted, been tempted to forget. He continues reading and reads this in Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Who did that just happen to? This man. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. <sighs> Are you seeing this? For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I got to imagine Isaiah's writing this. He's like, Holy Spirit, are you sure? Is this what you, is this what you want me to write? Okay. 
Awkward. And 700 years later, check this out. Sorry, Lisa. 700 years later, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that'll never be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and doesn't profane it and holds fast my covenant, I'll bring them to my holy mountain. I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. What the heck? Do you see this? My water's spilling all over the place. Do you see this? You think he left with joy? It's a no-brainer for Luke because he knew what he was reading. He knew what he'd get to. I hope we see it. I hope we don't miss it because this same God is the same God yesterday, today, and for forever. This is who he is. Luke's like, don't miss this. God's love is amazing. Look at the way God uniquely loves this outcast and this outsider setting up moments hundreds of years in advance to show this one man who feels on the outside that God has not forgotten him. And in the same way, he deeply and personally sees every single hurting person in our world and in our lives. And he wants to encounter them with his love and his hope and the good plans he has for their lives. Friends, God's love is amazing. And number two, he wants to use you. John 3 says, God so loves the world. He so loves the world, he cares for every single hurting, broken, lost person like you and I are or were. He so loves the world that he cannot just sit idly upstairs in heaven saying, figure it out like Zach shared during worship. He responds by sending his son Jesus and then by sending us. And because of that, he is searching for Philip's. The hero of this story is clearly not Philip. I hope you see it, it's God. He had this thing mastermind long before Philip ever even came onto the scene. But who says yes? Philip. And God hasn't stopped searching for Philip's. People who are ready, who are available, who are willing to be sensitive to his spirit and who are ready and willing to follow his lead and go to the people that he loves. Here's my application for this sermon if you have experienced and encountered the incredible, amazing, and personalized love of God, and I'm hoping right now you're just reminded, you're stepping back saying, oh my goodness, God, you're so good. Then our mission and commission is an incredible one. We get to help make that that love of God that is so amazing comprehensible to a hurting world in need. Here's my prayer for application. What do you want me to do, Pastor John? I want you to get excited about God's love, and then I want you to go and say yes and be a Philip or a Philippa, to say yes to the spirit and go. The moral of the story is we are, or we were the Ethiopian eunuch. We were outcasts. We were distant and separated from God and no amount of our own efforts or religious engagement could breach that barrier. And so God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. And when we respond, 
he sends us. Now he invites us to the rescue mission. He invites us to awaken to our calling to be a Philip, to make the love and the wisdom and the hope and the plan of God comprehensible to hurting and hopeless people in our world and in our region and in our lives and in our workplaces and on our campuses. Why? Because God so loves the world that he gave his son. He already did that. Now he's trying to send you. He's trying to send me. He's trying to send us. Worship team, you can come up. I'm gonna close in just a second here with this story and then we'll, we'll respond in worship at the end. A lot of you have been praying for my mom. Um, many of you know she's a breast cancer survivor and has been re-diagnosed with breast cancer and um, it's just meant so much on just a, a personal level. The texts and the phone calls and the prayers and all of that, you guys have been amazing. And um, so my mom went back to, uh, to MD Anderson where she did her first cancer treatment from and um, it was amazing. The, the doctors met with the oncology team, and um, she started a, a hormone therapy treatment, which, you know, they were hoping would do something, and the doctors literally sat down. I mean, they were giddy. I don't know if you've ever watched an oncologist be giddy. It's one of the most uncomfortable things in the world because they're used to delivering bad news, but they were giddy. They're like, Mrs. Lash, this is better than anything we had ever hoped or anticipated. I was like, that sounds like a Bible verse. To him who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly, more than you can ask or think or even imagine. I was like, God, you just did that. Like, literally, that's what the doctor said. They said, we had hoped that this therapy would, like, you know, hopefully stop the spread of whatever was going on. And maybe over time, it would even shrink the tumor. They said, not only has it significantly shrunk the tumor in such a short period of time, but it's, cancer seems to be dying in your body. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you guys for praying. Not out of the woods yet. You know, my mom's big prayer is to be able to avoid chemotherapy. And they're like, listen, if things keep like this, man, you are on that track. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing the therapy. We'll schedule the surgery because we want to make sure we're taking care of things holistically, which, you know, we're, that's, that's been our big prayer. They're like, this is amazing. It was incredible. It was an incredibly phenomenal personal answer to prayer and move of God in my life. That's not the thing that most impressed me about this whole scenario, though. God is God, right? He's, he's kind of good at that stuff, right? That's what he does. It's his job description. What always has impressed me is my mom's response in horrible situations. And my mom did what she always does, which is when she finds out she's, in, she's about to go through a pit and life is about to get really hard, she turns back to God in desperation and in worship. And so my mom, the week before, she's getting ready to go to this cancer treatment that she's not quite sure how it's actually gonna go and what news she's gonna find out, but she's praying and hoping for good things. She starts painting on seashells. How many of you, that's what you do when you find out you're going, right? No. But my mom's an artist, and so she's had this ministry. You can see these shells up here. But my mom, for how long? Dozens years, decades, since she was 20. Um, she has been painting, and my mom does all this artwork. It's really cool and, and unique. And so she writes these little messages from God, and she'll throw them in the ocean, and people grab them and find these crazy testimonies. I was at the beach. I was going to commit suicide, and I found this shell that says, you are special to God, and has some phone number. Who are you? What are you doing? Like, wild stuff. So she's there. So I'm, you know, my brother went with her and she's there in the doctor's office as she's dealing with cancer. And at the trail end of the recording, I heard something. The doctor's assistant says, Hey, Hey, you know, great news. Everything's good. Do you have any more of those shells? She says, you know, my mother-in-law is, um, is really going through it. And I'd really love one of those shells to give to her.
and I'm watching my mom as she battles cancer via Philip to the oncologist team that's trying to treat her sick body because she's not fundamentally worried about her sick body. She's good. She knows where she's going. She's worried about their souls. I'm like, I know my mom's name is Jamie. She's a Philip, Philippa, through and through. I'm like, when I grow up, I want to be Jamie Lash. And I've watched it with my dad and I'm now watching it with my mom and I pray she's on the earth for 74 more years. It's not possible, it's not possible guys, but you know, it would be great. Hopefully Jesus comes back way before then. Amen. Lord have mercy. But I'm watching both of them live life on this planet like they're not living for this planet. Because we're not. Friends, do you realize if you follow Jesus, you have very limited purpose on earth. It's to bring heaven to earth. Otherwise, your final destination is heaven. Why don't we just go ahead and teleport there right now? We can avoid a bunch of heartache, especially if you're a Dolphins fan. Right? Why are we still here? Hopefully because we want to be useful to God. Hopefully because like Philip, a bunch of these early believers, they're going to get martyred. They're going to get killed. They're going to get assassinated. They're going to get hung. They're going to get stoned. They're going to get murdered. But they say, God, as long as I've got breath in my lungs, if you say rise and go, I don't even need to know where. I just say, sir, yes, sir, because I am all in for you. You rescued me. You saved me. You communicated your love to me when I felt like an outcast. And because of that, my entire life, all of my time, all of my money, all of my talents, all of my resources, everything I have is yours. It's not about my career, and it's not about my livelihood, and it's not about making a name for myself, and it's not about just leaving a legacy for me. Jesus, I'm yours, and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. And wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I'm yours. And I'm praying we would respond like that. I'm praying we would say yes to the incredible missions and adventures, these good works, like Paul says in Ephesians, that God has prepared in advance. And when the Spirit prompts us, because he did not stop doing it in Acts chapter 8, he did it in Acts 9 and Acts 10 and Acts 11, and he continues to do it today. When the Spirit prompts our hearts, we would respond like Philip and say, yes. Because there's nothing inherently more special with Philip than you. Philip was simply a human being full of the Spirit of God who when the Spirit prompted him, he said, yes. Holy Spirit, we say yes. Jesus, even right now, as we wrap up this series as a commissioning of sorts, God, we say yes again to you, Lord. Those of us who know you, have experienced your grace and your goodness, who met you like this Ethiopian eunuch on a desert road where we felt alone and broken and lost and hopeless and helpless, God, we remember afresh the mission and we say yes. Lead us and we'll go. We surrender our idolatry of image and status, of control, of the need to know all the details. God, we don't need to know the details. We just need to know you're sending us and we'll say yes. Maybe you're here this morning and 
you can relate to the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. You're, maybe you've been intrigued about this God you've heard about from a friend or a coworker. Maybe you're watching online and you've considered the path of faith. And this morning is your morning. This morning is your encounter. This morning is your time like this Ethiopian eunuch. What do I do? You respond just like he did. You believe, you repent, you change your mind about your approach to life and say, God, I'm going with your path and your way. And you'd be baptized. You repent and you'd be baptized. We've got a tank. We could baptize you today. We've got swimming pools and water and lakes and beaches all over South Florida. We could figure out the details. If you need to finally say yes to Jesus, don't wait until next week. Don't wait until next month. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, Jesus. You get me. An opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Respond today. If you're watching online, you can, you, right there in the chat, you can say, okay, I'm in, I wanna respond. Talk to me about baptism, I wanna do it. If you're here in the room, before we go, we'll have a bunch of prayer partners up here. Come forward as we sing this final song. Say, all right, I, I'm in. I don't really even know what this means to be quite honest, but I wanna follow Jesus. What does this mean for me in my life? We'd love to walk with you on your faith journey. But this story gets even crazier. This Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Africa. He goes back to the region of Kush. And within tradition, within African tradition, they, they have a title for this man. This is what they call him, the father of the faith of Africa. They trace him back to the origins of the Coptic church. This is now hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus. God takes this man that was barren. God takes this man who had most likely been abused. God takes this man who was unable to have seed or offspring, which in the ancient world was life. And he says, listen, not only do I see you, not only do I love you, but I'm going to restore you and make you the father of the faith of a continent. Continent. I got two kids. Buddy has hundreds of millions. I don't know if I want that headache. But What's the message? Luke's trying to let us know there is no situation too dark, no situation too bleak, no situation too hopeless. If you're here in the room and you've got a situation that you see no way out, here's the reminder from the scriptures this morning. God is a God who makes a way where there is no way. God is a God who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask or think or even imagine. God is the one who says, oh, you got a dead person on your hands? Oh, they're three days dead named Lazarus? I got you. I'll show up in a little bit and make it happen. He is the same one who raises the dead and he did it then and he'll do it today. Stand to your feet. We're going to close in prayer. If I can get our prayer partners up here, if you need a miracle in your life, give God a shot. We'd love to pray and agree with you. If you need to make that decision to respond like this Ethiopian eunuch to the good news of Jesus and become a follower of Jesus, as soon as we start to sing, if you need prayer in your life for any situation, whatever the case might be, our prayer partners would love to pray and agree with you, encourage you in your faith walking journey. You're welcome to come forward as soon as we sing and let's respond to this incredible, amazing love of God and worship together. Let's do it.